Good morning, beloved. How good it is when brothers, sisters, siblings dwell in unity and in love. I bring you greetings on behalf of the 75 congregations, of course, including this one, of the Presbytery of Detroit. It is good to be with you on this Lord's Day as we also honor and celebrate all of our veterans. Let us pray. Open our eyes that we might see glimpses of truth you have for us. Place in my hands the wonderful key that will unclasp and set us free. Silently now, we wait for thee. Ready, our God, your will to see. Open our eyes, our ears, our hearts. Illumine us. Spirit divine. Amen. And so the irony of our theological training is that when we read scripture, you kind of know what the sermon is going to be about. So, so pastor had these stones and I was really glad to see them because I left mine in Pastor Nate's office. <laughs> So I ran to get them, but now I realize I don't need them because they are here provided for us. So what do these stones mean? Stones can mean, mean a lot of things. William Shakespeare once said, stones have been known to move and trees to speak. Michelangelo said, a rolling stone can gather no moss. Every block of stone has a statue inside it, and it is the task of the sculptor to discover it. Euripides says, leave no stone unturned. But what about these stones? What do they mean for us? Could they mean witness, power, hope, something to consider today as we delve into this text. So consider with me the subject of our time, delayed but not denied. The year was 1975. I am not ashamed. If you know math, you can figure out my age. However, <laughs> and what I will call this, this phenomenon was was nothing shy of marketing genius. Gary Dahl in the advertising uh, land, he was an executive and he was the one who gave us the pet rock. <laughs> and people bought them. Oh yeah, pet rocks, pet rocks, yes, pet rocks. Pet rocks were smooth stones said to be from Mexico's uh, beach and and but here's the thing they were marketed like they were alive. Like they were live pets. They came in custom boxes complete with straw and breathing holes. This little fad only lasted about six months. I wanted a pet rock. <laughs> All it cost was $4, but in 1975, that was, that was a lot of money for a rock. 
It's probably a lot of money for a rock now too, right? So I asked my mom, I said, mom, please, will you buy me this pet rock? It was just, a, it was a thing. It was, it was a thing that, that, that none of my friends had. And I would have been one of the coolest kids if I had one. I remember asking for one, my mother just stopped dead in her tracks. And she looked at me with a look of consternation and utter confusion. I remember it like it was yesterday. She said, Floretta, I'm not buying you a, a rock. <laughs> and of course I said, but it comes with a training manual and instructions on how to properly raise this rock and, and care for my new pet rock. I figured that by offering her this great rationale, that this would compel her to purchase the pet rock. So I spoke of how this, this rock would teach me discipline and responsibility. It was like extra credit for school. After all, she was a teacher, she understood that. Her answer was no. <laughs> ah, but I would not be denied. I decided that I would get my own pet rock. But mine would not come with instructions. Mine would not come in a box filled with straw. Mine might not even be smooth, but I figured I can still care for this rock. As we were leaving the store, I believed that the Lord intervened on my behalf. And there were these decorative rocks around a small sapling tree. And that's right, I reached down and got a very smooth rock and gently placed it in my pocket. Now being an only child, I didn't just want one rock. Therefore, I went on a quest for more rock siblings. Everywhere we went, I would look for the perfect rock to add to the family. One of my aunts was vacationing in Florida and guess what she brought me back? That's right, a pet rock. I had to have more pet rocks and I finally stopped at 12. I had no reasoning behind stopping, except my mother said, stop bringing those dirty rocks into my house. <laughs> my pet rocks didn't have names, but before I allowed them into my room, they had to be cleansed. I kept those rocks for a very long time. They stayed in my childhood bedroom. They lasted throughout high school, college, and seminary. They remained on my dresser even after I moved away. What did these stones mean to me? And why were they so important, the, these collected stones? In reflecting on that question with the intention of a child, those stones meant trying to be like everyone else. To my mother, actually paying for a rock was just dumb. But now at a much more seasoned age, these stones represent remembering. A remembering of a childhood that offered me love, legacy, and laughter. This is the same question that we raised in this Joshua passage. Stones 
symbolize a, a plethora of things, both in scripture and in our modern culture. Stones and rocks are the skeleton, the solid parts of the earth. Stones can be giant rocks bulging out of the earth or standing like protections and barriers against the waters and the tides that rolls in. Stones are colored and precious. Stones are expensive and exploited. If you liked it, then you should have put a, don't worry about it. Stones give us beauty, and they give us memories. Stones have been used by God, and stones have been used against God and God's beloved. The songwriter said, the, the Lord's our rock, and him we hide a, a shelter in the time of storm. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Ancient altars are made of stone. For example, when, when Jacob left home and spent his night sleeping in the open, his pillow was made of stone and he made an altar on the spot in remembrance and in thankfulness, an altar on which he poured out and as an oil to God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The stone of salvation is the foundation laid by God. This rock is Jesus. Yes, he's the one. This rock is Jesus, the only one. Be very sure, be very sure. Your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. Folks in power, the days of the Lord tried to make Jesus a part of their building and ended up rejecting him altogether. Jesus was the stone that the builders rejected, the psalmist says, but the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it's amazing in our eyes. But what about our current situation? Stones have been used as weapons. Stones have been thrown at buses attempting to provide children with equity and access to schools where exclusivity resided. Stones have been thrown at protesters as they sing the songs of protest and praise. I ain't gonna let nobody turn me round. And yes, stones are memorials. We place tombstones on the graves of our loved ones. At the National Mall in Washington, D.C. lies a monument. Overlooking the Tidal Basin sits the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial. The memorial was designed to physically represent a quote from King's famous I Have a Dream speech. Out of a mountain of despair, a stone of hope. I could go on, but you get my point. So here it is. What will we say? Stones proclaim certain varied particular realities. So in the context of the text, these folks have been sojourning for a while. They, they have witnessed generational shifts, changes in leadership, battles, fights, faithlessness and faithfulness. And now they are about to occupy the land, land that belongs to someone else. But that's another story for another sermon. <laughs> The reality is 
these people have been in transition for a long time. And when you are in, in a time of transition, it's very uncomfortable. It's okay to say amen. <laughs> Our denomination has been in a time of transition for a while. Our presbytery is in transition now. And many, if not most congregations are in some type of transition. Life is filled with swift transitions, but sometimes they last a long time. Too often we are so focused on getting out of the situation that we fail to realize that God is keeping you. Fact is, a stone can be a boundary, a barrier. See, boundaries seek to maintain relationships and barriers seek to destroy them. God blocked off torrential waters and made a way for God's people to cross in dry ground. They were delayed, but not denied. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never harm me. You know, this rhyme is used as a defense against name calling and, and verbal bullying intended to increase resiliency, avoid physical retaliation, and to remain calm, cool, and collected. But let me share a hard truth with you all. Every day there are people of color who experience anxieties as we see little or no regard for our humanity. As an educated woman in ministry, a veteran who served my country for 20 years, I am still vigilant when I walk in certain places or drive while black. Those of us who have been racialized as inferior, expendable, substandard, subordinate, and subservient have even experienced Christians who will throw the rock and hide their hand. So whose memory, what memories shall we preserve? Yes, the people of God are called to remember, to remember how good God is, to remember how God maintains God's purposes, how God keeps God's promises. And yet, we who have been provided stones have thrown them to eliminate our memories of mistreatment to those whose voices have been long silenced. The text reminds us that sometimes we have to go back to the place where we receive grace and mercy. But sometimes we have to go back to those places that were filled with experiences that caused pain so that the making of amends for a wrong done can be restored, repaired. What would happen if the Presbyterian Church USA actually apologized for slavery just as we apologized to our indigenous siblings? In fact, there's an overture coming to our Presbyterian meeting on Saturday asking the Presbytery of Detroit to support this overture. What could be possible if true confession and repentance, metanoia, a turning away from bias and prejudice and sexism and homophobia and racism became just as important as our meetings and businesses and investments? What can we say about these stones? Even today, we are surrounded by a beautiful Gothic-style structure with vertical lines and 
flying buttresses, pointed arches, lightness and soaring spaces made of stone. Thank you for your website for telling me that. <laughs> and so we must ask, what is God calling you to remember? What do these stones mean? I believe that stones carry lessons. Stones carry a future hope. Stones carry a powerful purpose when we allow the stones to speak to us. What if these walls could talk? What would they say? In the tradition of the black church, this is where I would say I would use my Holy Ghost imagination, Pastor Nate. And I can hear God saying, these stones are designed to be a memorial to advance our faithfulness to God. Through the work of our hands and our feet, we live out the calling to unmask idolatries in church and, and culture. I, I believe I can hear God saying these so stones are designed to cultivate our gratitude. I can tell you something from the culture of black folks living in America, the generations that are alive now are much like those who were sojourning with Joshua. The ancestors of these Israelites who knew Moses and the slavery in Egypt are not the same folks who struggled in the wilderness and made it to the promised land. Martin Luther King says, I may not get there with you. And so our memory points us to gratitude in profound ways. Stony the road we trod, bitter the chastening rod. Despite being the daughters and sons of children and, and children of, of sharecroppers, we have become doctors and lawyers and military generals, professors, FBI agents. We are rocket scientists like Katherine Johnson who helped this country win the space race. We are research scientists like Dr. Corbett whose work was instrumental in creating the Moderna vaccine. Delayed, but not denied. Despite having ancestors whose memories were marred as they hung from lynching trees bearing strange fruit, we have come over a way that with tears has been watered. We have come treading our path through the blood of the slaughtered, and now these memories have become stepping stones so that even in this 21st century, we have some notable firsts. In our denomination, for the first time, we have an African-American man serving as our stated clerk, an African-American woman serving as the president of the Presbyterian Mission Agency. Pastor Nate, am I the first? I will tell you that I was the first African-American chaplain in the Air National Guard. Delayed but not deny. So now perhaps we can understand why some folks can't sing the songs of Zion in a strange land, but still be grateful. Finally, all of us gathered in this place, in our congregations, in, in, in the presbytery, we are in places that have been muddied with complicit participation in conquering lands and places stigmatized by racial divides and places and perpetual struggling to make things better. Even as we offer our land acknowledgments when we gather, we must also acknowledge 
our own silence. Therefore, these stones remind us of a need for unity. Listen, the real definition of unity is not just being together. The simplest definition, and straightforward, I might say, is unity is the state of being one, oneness. But in mathematics, unity is something different. In mathematics, unity is a, is a synonym for the number one. The integer between the integers zero and two. The number one represents a single entity and it is our unit of counting. It is the first non-zero number of our natural numbers, number one. But unity also represents an identity element which says that when combined with another number in a certain mathematical operation, the number combined with the identity remains unchanged. Did I lose you? But then, to further push this equation of unity, we have the concept of the root of unity. Simply stated, the root of unity says any number which would multiply by itself any number of times always equals one. So I'm going to take this out of mathematics because that was not my subject and put this in the realm of our existential reality of what it means for us to be the church and how so many things seek to divide us. Any number of Presbyterians gathered, the Bible says, in the name of Jesus equals unity, says two or three, unity. Any number when multiplied with the root of hope equals unity. Any number which when multiplied by the root of love equals Amen. And any number when multiplied by the root of equity and equality for all equals? So be encouraged. Stand your ground. God is doing some amazing things in God's church. God's promises are delayed sometimes, but they're not denied. In 2008, after my mother passed away, I went out in the backyard and I took each of those stones that I had collected some, a lot of years. And I took each one and I threw it into the woods, my backyard, remembering how sweet a woman my mother was who would not get me that pet rock. I recognized that those rocks that I was collecting came out of a place of me trying to be accepted by my peers. But today I actually do carry stones in my pocket. And I wear stones on my body and my wrist to ground me in my faithfulness to God, the grace of God and the love of God that comes most powerfully through God's Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so remember, delay does not mean denial. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.